forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I've already hysterically cried today. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and when? We've been together all day. Oh, I had a big cry around 8.15 a.m. today. So like one bit of time we weren't together? <laughs> Why? Well, because I, I woke up, I did my 30 minutes-ish of Pilates, which is my new workout routine. Then I was getting my breakfast and in the kitchen, my knee did its most severe buckle since my surgery and it, it was really scary and traumatizing and I and I don't think that my patella moved which was what my my surgery was to fix but it was still very destabilizing and so then I got I got upset and overwhelmed and so then I went to the bedroom and sat on the bed as John woke up and hysterically cried does he often wake up to you hysterically crying? <laughs> Far less than you think. Oh I think this God. was maybe the first time he's woken up to me hysterically crying. Is that why you texted us and said we <laughs> need to start at 10 instead of 930? No, I think I texted that before it happened. Okay. But I, because, well, actually, I, I texted that because I wanted to push back so I would have time to walk the dogs. But then because that happened, I was afraid to walk. So I made John do it anyway. Oh, my God. I have a storied life. All the sorts of stuff's happening. Well, I mean, so, but it wasn't the same, right? Like your knee is okay? Yeah, it wasn't a dislocation, thank God, or a subluxation, but it was still like a big instability. And I'm sure it was just that my leg was exhausted from the workout, I guess. So it was feeling weak. So it yeah, kind of gave out. Yeah, you just worried that it was the old stuff. Yeah, and it's just a really scary feeling and it feels gross and scary. And I, and then I had to have a cry. I, I'm so sorry. I totally get like also when you get a little sick and you're like kind of think it's similar to even something that was bad. And then you're like, well, it's all over. And then you just start crying. Like if I feel like a little bit of like a panic attack, then I start panicking about the upcoming panic attack. And then I'm like, here we are. Yeah. And I mean, the whole thing is like this year has been really hard and like I still can't do a lot of things and it's been a really long recovery since the surgery. Right. But the whole point was so that I wouldn't collapse anymore. And so then to exactly. feel like I was going to collapse or that I had yes. that instability was like more triggering than when I have pain or when I can't yes. do things or when, because I, like I was like, Oh, I signed up for all that mm -hmm. hard part, but I did this all to avoid that feeling yes. and then to have a similar feeling. I got upset. No, totally. That is so, <laughs> that is exactly it. I'm sure like that's really relatable because we've all felt like, no, I did all of this just to stop this one thing. And mm -hmm. then even if that's not what's happening, if you feel like it's similar to what's mm -hmm. happening, you're, it's like, Oh man, time to fall apart. Yeah. So I had to have a little cry or big cry, but then I felt better. And I just, you know, I have to remind myself it wasn't my patella that moved. Yeah. It was, you know, but I definitely am going to try to take it easy for the, for, well, actually already I'm not going to work out for the next couple of days because I'm yeah. going away. So I think that'll be good. I got to give it a little rest. Oh, man. Did See, John... I kept a secret. I kept a secret for you guys from out for hours. Oh, my God. I can't <laughs> even believe it. When John woke up, what did he do? He just sort of let me cry and. Did he and, say what happened? Well, I explained what happened and then I cried. And then he he asked if it was a dislocation. 
And I didn't really clarify, but I think he figured out it wasn't. Because, I, I mean, if I dislocate again after the surgery, that's it. I'm chopping the leg off. Like, I'm like, that's like, I will be, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to, like, come today if I dislocated. Right. But um, he figured out that, that it was a buckle and not a dislo- not a subluxation or anything. Can I ask you a question about something that I heard you guys talking about? You and John? Why? Were you in my house? Yeah. When? Or I was, ta- I talked to you guys, like, yeah, like on Monday. Oh, yeah, that's true. I was just goofing. Oh, well, I was like, <laughs> you know, I was like, truly, I was like, you don't remember? No, I know. You, you were in my house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, He mentioned something called AV and JV. Oh, yeah. What is that? I only got a brief summary. Okay, so, like, one of the things that's really nice about our relationship is that we each have different strengths. Sure. We each bring different things. And so when he does something that I would not be able to do, that's called a JV. That's a John value. <laughs> and then when I do something that he wouldn't do and I bring something new to the relationship, that's called an AV, an Allison value. Yeah, he said it so casually in front of me. Like, I forget <laughs> what it was, but he was like, that's an AV. And yeah. I was like, now go on. What? I actually really recommend that couples use this terminology because it's a really nice way to feel appreciated to also like be able to like show your value. Be like, OK, I'm willing to do that because that's a real AV. So like what did I teach him? Like when I when I certain things will be like, oh, like if I'm out and like we need something and he and I have like a, a hand wipe. Yeah, that's an AV. I'm always with the hand wipes. I always right, got the right, stuff in right, my bag. Right. Whereas like he d- takes out the trash. That's a real JV. Yes, like, that's what yeah. it was. He was taking out the trash. Yeah. <laughs> and you were like, that's a real JV. And I was like, what? And he was like, oh, and an Allison value and a John value. And I was like, okay, you fucking nerds. <laughs> yeah, you know you're going to use it now. I do like it. I do like it. I think that is something that maybe Mal and I need to adopt. Like, is there certain things that, like, you taught Mal or that you've added to the relationship? That's a that's a G-V. Money, mostly. Right. Like, you're, well, you're, <laughs> oh, my God. I thought you meant money literacy, but you just mean actual money. Yeah. But you know what Mal has? Mal is, like, that Mal knows everything about repairing stuff. Mal knows what groceries we need. That's an MV. Mal knows, and there's so many MVs. And then the oh, I only have one GV. <laughs> <laughs> and I better maintain that GV because Mal's got all the MVs. <laughs> well, this is just between us. A variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And the brutalist honesty of all time. <laughs> We have an amazing show. We are going to be interviewing David Bizarro all about puppeteering. I am so excited. Just just a, a, a spoiler for you guys. Hot puppet takes. It was actually so fascinating. Spicy puppet takes. And later, we're going to be talking all about superstition. But first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means? Hit it! International question. International question. Somewhere in Europe. Ooh. Very mysterious. I love it. Very mysterious. I like the opening as well. That I danced? No, no, no. Of this person's message. Oh, that was a real bummer (laughs) for me. Okay, somewhere in Europe says, hi, old friends. Oh, hi there. I've been a fan of you forever Ah. since BuzzFeed. I always considered myself more of an Allison than a Gabby. 
and found her content about straight relationships and semi-conservative dreams of marriage while acting as a queer ally more relatable as we have really grown up together. I define as straight and have only had relationships with men. I recently eloped with a guy I met just weeks before for citizenship reasons and because I felt it was my big chance at real love and a future. This is juicy. He had mentioned that he experimented sexually with men when he was younger, which didn't bother me. He is also an objectively terrible dresser, mismatched baggy clothes, which I chalked up to him being an indifferent man who had never been interested in fashion. I was determined to help him find his style and dress in clothes that fit him better and sent a better message to the world. Generalization. Straight girls love makeovers. As our relationship has progressed these last few months, he slowly but surely revealed to me that he feels more comfortable wearing women's clothing at home. I have given him some of mine and he loves it. He has never been so happy in his traditionally male clothes. I support him on his journey and totally get that it's the 21st century and male fashion is changing. I even showed him looks from men like Harry Styles to show he is not alone. But I have to admit it has been challenging for me because I don't necessarily consider myself attracted to this aesthetic or even gender identity. I think he finds being traditionally masculine overwhelming in terms of pressure and responsibility. And I have had to shoulder a lot of those values for our relationship. I'm tired. Is it transphobic to feel like maybe this relationship isn't giving me what I want? How normal is it that he just wants to wear my clothes and women's clothes rather than experimenting with more tightly fitted menswear because he needs the escape? Thanks for everything. Grateful for you. Okay, so there's two things going on here. Hi, everyone. Hi, I'm trans. Okay, so here's uh, two things that are going on here. One is that there is no normal. So you said, how normal is it that he wants to wear my clothes and women's clothes? There is no normal. There's, it doesn't matter. And, and honestly, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter if it's normal. It's what's happening. Are people feeling more comfortable to come out and be more vocal and more public about this kind of thing? Sure. But there is no normal. It's just a matter of like what's going on, you know, in your relationship. Two, I don't think you're transphobic. Start, starting up top, I don't think you're transphobic. Two things stuck out to me. One is when you said he had mentioned that he experimented sexually with men when he was younger, which didn't bother me. So let's hold on to that for one moment. And then also that you don't necessarily find yourself attracted to this aesthetic or gender identity. So that's two. There are a lot of narratives surrounding gender fluidity and non-normative gender identities that have to do with the partner not minding, being fine with thinking that it's okay, getting through it, whatever it is. And I think that you deserve to be happy and you deserve to be in a relationship that you feel comfortable with. And so does he. I think that there is more out there for each of you. And I think that there is more out there for him to be with someone who, not just that it doesn't bother them or not just that it's you're not necessarily attracted to, but rather someone for whom that is sexy. Someone for whom they are, they're celebrating. You don't have to settle for it doesn't bother me or it's fine with me or I'm tolerating it. You can reach for, they love it. They find it so attractive. They celebrate this aspect of me. And I think that's something that a lot of trans people deal with in relationships where they say, well, I'll just be with this person and they don't mind. And I want to challenge us to not just be with people who don't mind, but to be with people who this is a 
bonus. This is something they love. They celebrate. They they admire. They cherish. And I think for cis people too, I think you don't have to put yourself in this place of saying, well, am I a bad person if? Am I transphobic if? I think you also need to be with someone for for whom you are not just tolerating or you are not just putting up with or you are not just loving them despite, but rather loving them because or loving them for one reason as such or loving them without it even entering your mind. And in this email, I hear a lot of despite. I hear a lot of it's not so bad. I hear a lot of, you know what I mean? Like, I think also, you know, there's just a lot of connection with look and clothing to sexuality. Just because he has like been with men sexually doesn't really have anything to do with his gender identity in any way. And also like, you know, the the traditional masculine values, again, like doesn't really have to do with his sexuality or gender. It could all, it kind of all works in the same pot, but I think it's getting conflated here in this email in a way that like, I don't know that he would potentially conflate them. So I just think that people deserve, there's this whole thing of like cis people leaving trans people for transitioning. And I just think that it's more complicated than that in that in general, people deserve to be with people who are not with them despite something, but rather who are with them in celebration of everything that they are. That's my TED talk. I have nothing to add. I thought that was beautiful. Really? Yeah, that was really good. I have no, I have no AV to add. Wow. <laughs> that was all GV. Wow. <laughs> I was thinking about it a lot since you sent this question. Because I was thinking about like, we, we too often we go, well, this is transphobic, this, this, blah, blah, blah. But like, it really is just about not feeling like you have to grovel for scraps or tolerance or even acceptance when what you should have is celebration. The end. And your your relationships are personal. Not, not political. Normal, not common. Not or political. Not, do you know what I yeah. mean? Like, it's ultimately a decision between two people, I feel like. And he deserves someone who, for whom this is, like, wildly attractive and sexy and interesting and 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 not a burden. And if you're trans... That's out there. And it took me a long time, even as a poly person, to believe that. And it is out there. I promise, promise, promise it is. Well, I'm, I, I think that that probably helped. And if you want to <laughs> submit an international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, you've got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, David Bizarro. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. This week on the show, we have David Bizarro, a first-generation Latinx American actor and an Emmy Award-winning puppeteer. David has worked with The Muppets, Sesame Street, The Jim Henson Company, Sci-Fi, and The Flaming Lips, just to name a few. Holy crap. <laughs> oh my God. First of all, is your last name really Bizarro or is that stage name? It is really Bizarro. So that you is had my last to name. become a puppeteer legally. 
my own my only options were puppeteer, roadie, and magician. That's it. It's never too <laughs> late it. to add the other two. You know, I did go on the road a couple times with the lips, so like the culture's not so bad. Maybe I could do that at some point. Yeah, and I also really like magicians, so I'm always constantly hey. pushing people to get into magic. What well, you- <laughs> maybe I can do a magic trick at some point because I did learn magic at one point in my life. You have to. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> okay, so why did you want to be a puppeteer? How did you even know that was a thing you could do? So I didn't know it was a thing I could do. I actually grew up uh, with no interests in puppetry except maybe watching it on TV every now and again. When I was young, I my aunt tells this story quite often how like I was four sitting in the back of her car and I was like cracking jokes and she says I was making people laugh, but I don't remember. And she was like, she like, oh, David, let me tell a joke. And I went, no, auntie, I'm the funny man. (laughs) And since then, I feel like I've always wanted to perform and make people laugh. I just didn't have any concept of what that meant or how to do it, you know? Because when I was growing up, you know, my mom came here from El Salvador. And like, when you're the kid of what my friends and I call like parents of the old country, we tend to be told like, you got to be, you know, a lawyer, you got to be a doctor, you got to have a trade. Like my mom's thing was all about you got to have a trade. And so I was pursuing acting, but I was also like trying to learn stuff on the side as well. And it wasn't until I was 28 that I actually considered puppetry uh to be something that I could do with my life. Wow. Why? Yeah. So I had just finished up uh working with the Flaming Lips. I'd worked with them for about four years doing backing videos, music videos, toys, documentaries, like all kinds of stuff. And I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, but I knew I wanted to do something creative. And I was like, well if I pursue any new craft, I've got to like get paid for it. So I was watching on uh I was watching these videos that this company made of these commercials with puppets. And I was like, this is really cool. This is a medium I've never played with. This is interesting to me. And I emailed a potential client. And I said, hey, you should have commercials like this. And they wrote back, this is incredible. I love this. Yes, can you do it? And I was like, of course I can. Yes, <laughs> I can. I am the number one puppet man. And so I lied. I absolutely lied. And and they know this. I've, I've told them since then. But I very quickly had to learn how to write for puppets and build puppets and perform them. And I did not know what I was doing at all. I produced all of it, I think, in like a week or a little over a week is when I got all it all together and then shot it. And looking back on the commercial, now having done this for about 10 years now, I can tell that I didn't know what I was doing. Like everything that I did performance wise was wrong. The puppets were made of hot glue, which is a big no-no when you're like making TV puppets. (laughs) <laughs> I it's something that I don't really show people because I'm like, oh, it's really cringy. It's but you know what? You wouldn't have started if you felt like you had to be the highest caliber. That's the big difference between right. people that actually do and people that like think about it, doing it is that the people that actually do are the ones who are just like, I, I'll, good do, enough. <laughs> I'll, I'll do it good enough. Like I have to start somewhere. And so like that's yeah. the actually I think the the creative mentality that I relate to and think is the most successful. Yeah, I came up uh, before working professionally when I was in college, I was in a a few indie bands. And like the whole concept of like being in a band is just like if you don't need it or if you don't have it, you don't need it. And that's how you produce your stuff. And that was really drilled in when I was working for the Flaming Lips. Their whole thing was like, especially with we mostly work directly with Wayne because he's very much the visionary of their visuals. 
but he would often say like, you know, oh, we don't have that thing. Well, we can't buy it. How else can we do it? Because we have to do this thing. It's like, okay, well, let's figure it out. And we would grab stuff and just try to make it happen. Even to the point where like we did a, a video of him screen printing a poster with his own blood. And like, we just, we needed to make something that was cool for the fans to buy and yeah. to like come to a special show where they were trying to raise some money. And we were like, and I, I don't know how the idea came up, but like Wayne was like, oh, let's screen print a thing, a poster with my own blood. That's kind of crazy. And we did it and we documented it and it was really fun and cool. But I apply that throughout everything I do creatively. And even at home, like, sometimes blood. I'll, That's yeah, I will, uh, <laughs> oftentimes when I'm, like my kid's sick right now. And the first thing I did was draw some blood to try to like, right, you know, sure. sort of ward through with sure. a little bit of witchcraft. I'm Wiccan, you know, and so we would do that. <laughs> Wayne Coyne is such an interesting person because you're like, they do stuff with puppets, don't they? They've done like tons of. They were going to do a Broadway show that featured puppets that they oh were. God. They were collaborating. This They first started talking to this puppeteer in New York before I even thought of puppetry. And it ended up not working out. I don't really know why. I had left before the whole thing was, you know, uh, moving forward. But they were going to do a giant pink robot uh, that was going to, like, walk around and stuff. The, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were going to do it. But they do something similar, I think, in the live show now. Like, they have a big inflatable pink robot now. Yeah, that's kind of their thing. <laughs> And so, <laughs> it's kind of their thing. It's yeah. no big deal. <laughs> I've been dying asses, but why can't you use hot glue in a TV puppet? <laughs> yeah, great question. You can use hot glue uh, if you want to. It, it, you can absolutely do it, and it'll make a puppet. The reason that we don't do it for TV puppets, like, for instance, uh, when you're building a puppet for, like, Sesame Street, you use a type of glue called barge. It's a it's a heavy duty rubber cement that's used to actually glue the soles of your shoes to your shoe. And the reason we use that is because it's really really strong, and but it's also very flexible. And hot glue is not flexible, and it also adds unnecessary weight. And when we're on set, if something happens, like like for instance, Bert has a mech in his face that makes his eyebrow you know go up and down. And if we if it breaks, like if something in the inside, the internals breaks, we have to get into that quickly, fix it and get them back out on set. And the barge rubber cement is heat reactive. And so if we heat it up, the, it peels right apart wow. and then we can get inside, fix it and then just push it back together and it reseals itself. And that's why we use barge instead of other types of uh, glues. But it's also very highly toxic. So you have to wear a respirator and do it in a room or that's ventilated or go outside and do it. Yeah, it can cause cancer. Holy <laughs> shit. I was like, this sounds too good to be true. Oh, right. It is. There's a real downside. So how yeah. did you go from crafting your own puppets for this one commercial to learning how to do like industry standard level puppeteering? So I started by teaching myself and I just Googled as much as I could. I was on Pinterest just trying to see what people were posting, you know, because people on the internet, they love to share what they know because they kind of, most of them want to flex how much they know. And so that's great. That was great for me and great for me with anything I'm trying to learn because then I just see what they're doing and I take it and I go, okay, great. This is how they do this. This is how they do that. Yeah. But as time went on and I was building for myself, my, I'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit. So I'm going to backtrack just a touch. My wife was moving to New York City uh, when we first met. 
And we, we talk about that story and it's funny to us because like we had no intention of like having a serious relationship, but then we ended up moving to New York and like living together for <laughs> 10 years and then got married after I think like, uh, four years. And so when we were, when she told me I'm moving to New York, I was doing motion graphics and visual effects at the time. And I was like, I'm moving to New York. I'm moving to LA. I'm moving to London. Hate LA. I don't really like living there. I have a bad past with it. That's really what it is. But I was interested in New York, interested in London. And she was like, well, I'm going to New York for a, a film that she produced. She was like, I'm going to go up there for a screening. I was like, great. I'll go a week ahead of you and check it out and see what I think. I really fell in love with it. I was like, New York's beautiful. I really love the energy here. Uh, this is where I want to go. And so I was like, I'll move too. And we'll get our own places. And, you know, that didn't happen. But <laughs> moving to New York, I was, I, we, and I'm sure you guys have done this before or, or listeners have done this before where you move to an, an area with someone and then you're like, it would be cheaper rent wise yeah. if we oh, just yeah. like live together. And so we just did that. Like that was our initial logic. But I think in the back of our minds, we were like, we yeah, really like you. <laughs> how long had you known each other? Uh, <laughs> yeah, how long? We knew each other for not very long at all. We had been dating for maybe two months or three months before we moved in together. Woo! But that's a whole, that's Talk a whole other thing. Me. See? Here's okay. All right. Here's the deal. Her house got infected with fleas because there was a crack on her wall. And at the time, we both were very much like, you live in your space, I live in my space. But she had nowhere to go. Like, she couldn't, like, her only family was her mom up in uh, Tulsa. We were living in Oklahoma City at the time. And she was like, I can't go to Tulsa because uh, it's too far from work. And I said, well, just come stay with me until the fleas get taken care of. And then she just never left. Uh, <laughs> It just worked out like it, it immediately just like the way that we function as a unit worked. Yeah. And we're like, well, let's just keep going until it doesn't. And then we'll reevaluate <laughs> because our relationship's a lot like a tax attorney office. We just reevaluate. Re yeah, of course. Quarterly. That's right. Every quarter we right. reevaluate. <laughs> uh, so in New York, I very quickly was like, well, puppetry is really interesting to me. I want to continue pursuing this because it's tapping into my performer self. Uh, when I was young, I was an actor and really got burned by the acting industry by being ethnically ambiguous. It never quite worked out for me because everyone was like, you're not enough of this. Or you're not enough of that. Or, hey, are you Hawaiian? No. OK, go away. I'm like, All right, great. Uh, so puppetry was something that was really easily accessible to me. And because I was an animator, the weird character side of it spoke to me as well. So when I was in New York, I was like, okay, who do I talk to? And I went to a New York Puppetry Guild meeting and like met puppeteers there, made some friends who were just starting out in puppetry. Uh, I met Kathy Kim, who we've been having a real like heart, real big heart moments uh, for each other lately because she just became the first Korean puppet on Sesame Street. Wow. And her and I had met at the Puppetry Guild like 10 years ago and we're like, yeah, I'm kind of interested in puppetry. And she's like, yeah, you know, I kind of am too. And we both were starting in our like late third, in our late, like uh, she was uh, in her early thirties. I was in my late twenties. And so we both were like, oh, what are we even doing here? You know, we both work in TV production. Like, what is this? But now we're like finding each other, you know, uh, really growing. But so I keep going off on tangents, but I started meeting people that could that became my mentors, folks who were working at Sesame and folks who were working on stage or on Broadway that would just meet with me and share their knowledge. 
in New York, you know, there's so many different types of puppetry and so many people performing it. And they want to share their knowledge with you uh, to keep the art going. Because in, in a lot of ways, some forms of the art is dying. Like even building puppets, uh, the way that people build puppets at the Jim Henson shop in New York is not the way puppets are built everywhere else. And it's a very special, specific way that may go away because no one's really learning from the folks in New York. But anyways, I ended up getting to a point where I just needed to learn more and grow. And my friend Liz Hara was like, well, I'm leaving the Henson Company. Why don't I introduce you to them? And I met with them. I brought my little bag of puppets and they were, I was like, look at my cool puppet. I made this one and I made this one. And as I'm showing them, I look to the left and there's like, you know, Oscar the Grouch. I'm like, my puppet's cool too. <laughs> and so they were like, you know, you're really interesting, but we don't have a place for you right now. We'll let you know if we do. And a month later, they called, they like emailed me at 6 a.m. We're like, hey, can you come in today? Because we had a spot open. Can you please come work with us? And that started a sort of like a contracting work of just working with them on and off again for the next like, I think, three or four, four years, I think. And I was working on Sesame Street uh, as a puppet wrangler. I was building and refurbishing puppets for them. And I got to watch the performers perform. And I really was like, that's where I want to be. Mm. I want to be on that side of the camera performing. And I just made it known, like, with my background, having to constantly like create my own opportunities or make my own path, because uh, they aren't always readily available for me. That's what I did with the pup with puppetry. And I just started sending random Facebook messages to lead puppeteers on Sesame Street saying, Hey, I'm David, like, I'd love to talk to you about puppetry. Can I buy you a drink? And they were nice enough to say like, Yeah, sure, let's meet up and go, you know, have a drink and talk. And I just started building these relationships with them. And now they're my colleagues. And it's really amazing and weird. What are people misunderstanding about this like art form? Or like if someone was like, what are some of the tips or things, you know, that you have to do or know as a performer for puppets? Like what are the mistakes? You know what I mean? Like what give us the yeah. give us the inside track. Absolutely. Uh, that's a really good question. And that's something that a lot of beginning puppeteers, I think, don't ask themselves. The biggest thing with puppetry is you, I think this is true for any creative uh, outlet, you are not a single thing. You can't just say, I want to be a painter and then just paint. You know, you have to like learn how to draw. You have to go out and just look at the world and experience it and understand it. And then you have to form your own opinions about the craft. And with puppetry, it's the same way. You can't just say, oh, yeah, I'm a puppeteer and put a puppet on and just start performing and only focus on the technical side of puppetry. Uh, you also can't put on a puppet and only focus on the acting side of it. You have to focus on both of it. I think for the most part, most pup young puppeteers focus too much on the technical side. And they're like, like one thing that often gets talked about is lip sync, which is when someone puts their hand up and making their voice match the hand. While that's really great, if you look at one of my favorite puppeteers from the Henson era, which is Jerry Nelson, his lip sync is not the best. And oftentimes it's terrible on the early <laughs> Muppet show. And but his his acting is so good and his character building is so great that that little bit of like technical fallout you forgive because you're like, but this character is so believable and I'm connecting with them. So for someone coming up, I would say 
like, you know, watch the videos on the technical aspects of it, but also learn to be an actor and don't learn to be a puppeteer actor. Go to acting, go to acting classes. That'll really sharpen you. Uh, I studied at uh, HB Studio, which is a studio in New York uh, that was founded by Udo Hagen, one of the right, most amazing a big acting coach. Huge. Yeah. One of the best acting coaches out there. And that working there really taught me how to find a method that works for me and how to find my characters and find their backstory. And I learned once I was there, I learned that one of my idols, Carmen Ashbar, who plays Rosita, that's where she studied. And she's one of the best puppeteers out there. And she was the last puppeteer hired by Jim Henson. Wow. So focusing on the acting is so crucial when you're a puppeteer. Also, just learning physicality, because as a puppeteer, we're trying to reflect life. That's really what we're doing. Like, this is not just, you know, going to be a body of a puppet. We have to, like, make you believe that he's walking or that she's dancing or that the cat is moving like a cat. We have to make you with the trick you into believing it's real. And the only way we can do that is through physicality. So taking dance or taking a creative movement class helps you understand your own body and how to exist in it. And then see other movements and go, okay, that's how I recreate that. Now, how do I put it up in my arm? How do I make it exist here? Right. Uh, and then the very last thing I would say for a puppeteer is, even if you aren't good at building puppets, learn how to build a puppet. Understand how they're built. Because when you get on set and someone hands you a puppet and it, because they have to fit your hand and they have to work. If you can feel that something's not right, you won't be able to communicate it to the person who needs to do the fixing of that puppet if you don't know how puppets are built. And I, I often find myself on set where they'll hand me the puppet. And I'll go, yeah, yeah, if you could just change this and like alter that, and here's kind of what I would do, they can go off and do it. But then someone I'm working with is like, yeah, it, I don't know why, but I can't like, I can't really make the mouth open as wide as I want to. And it's, it's kind of uncomfortable. I'm not quite sure what to do. Like that's not totally helpful for the person who has to go then make those changes. So if you're coming up, don't just focus on technique. Also focus on acting. Try dance. Maybe go for a walk and watch people and see how they move. <laughs> and also learn how to build puppets, even if you're bad at it, so you can at least communicate what it is you need. And I imagine it's not just like traditional acting, but also like voice acting, right? Because you're doing a lot of different characters and voices and like, you know, that's yeah. something that to me has always felt like, you know, back in the day when I was like doing a sketch and whatever, it was always like, oh, SNL's the dream. But I was always like, well, I can't do impressions. I can't change right. my voice and my I can't take on other or even know what voice goes yeah, with even what know puppet, with yeah, like or, building from the or even just up. having a variety of voices or the ability to do impression. Like, so how do you build like, is that something people just either have like a natural affinity for or is it something you can develop? It's both. Uh, you can have a natural affinity for it and you can learn how to do these voices. I had a natural affinity for it, but mostly for accents when I was growing up. And I think that's just from being around a lot of different accents. Uh, but getting more developed characterization uh, was something that I had to learn. And what I kept hearing voice actors talk about was altering their face to get the sound out and to change sort of like the depth or more, I'm trying to think what the word is, but like, yeah, just more, hey, I'll say it again, depth and character. But it was, you know, learning that really opened my eyes and it reminded me of learned when I was in uh, theater, learning how to do accents because you're taught how to like place your tongue and 
how to like change the place of doing diphthongs or T sounds. And in voice acting, it's, it's kind of the same thing. So when I went to the gym, uh, the Jim Henson company held a workshop. It was basically like puppetry summer camp. And they had like 39 puppeteers come out and they were teaching them their style of puppetry. And they also invited out uh, Bob Bergen, who does, he's a voice actor that does uh, Porky the Pig and like just tons and tons of characters. How are you not so starstruck by everything happening? <laughs> anyway, go on. I'd be like, Porky I think, the Pig? I don't know. I let's blame the ADHD. That's what we'll do. Yeah. I just, I don't like, have and like, Oscar the Grouch is over there. I'd be like, Oscar the Grouch is over there. Like they're not even real. He's totally empty. I'm just like, um, sir Grouch, sir. Like, yeah, <laughs> I honestly don't know. Uh, my anyway, wife sorry, gets starstruck really easy. Puppet. No, it's a funny thing. Like I won't go on a tangent, but like, yeah, my, my wife gets starstruck and I don't. And sometimes she's just like, how, how are you not crying? You're not human. It's What's Kermit. happening? It's freaking Kermit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Puppets are so in our hearts. They really, really are. So Bob Bergen at the workshop, which was really rad. The, the focus, it was a diversity uh, an inclusivity workshop. And so it was like all these different people from different backgrounds. And Bob Bergen taught two days. The first day was just like him talking about voice acting theory and, and all of that. And uh, then he handed out scripts or he let us choose a script. And we went back to our, to our dorms and we worked on a character. And then we then presented the character to him in front of the class and he would give us notes. And what I really latched onto what he was saying was, uh, cause I can, I can change the pitch of my voice and, uh, the tone really easily, but getting something just a little bit different than what like the other person is doing was always kind of a mystery, but he talked about like covering your teeth with your upper lip or like, you know, just, just extruding my jaw and talking like with my own voice already makes me sound like I have something else going on. Like that's just strange or pushing it back and making me talk that way. And the character that I did ended up becoming a voice for a character that I do on my own for my own stuff. I came out and I came up with like a weed eater specialist who's from Texas. And my father-in-law, so my father-in-law is from West Texas. And he, you know, he sort of talks like this and he's very, you know, sort of slow spoken. And uh, he's just, oh, that, that's okay. That's all right. That's fine. <laughs> and I was like, that's interesting. I'm going to raise the energy a little bit and I'm going to cover my upper lip and just kind of see what that does. And suddenly he kind of became like this. And this is the voice he became. And I just thought, well, this is a very interesting person. And he's like, well, hi, my name's Jerry. I'm a weed eater specialist. And I just know everything about anything when it comes to weed eaters. Now, see, you got the X2500, you got the 2299, and you got the Ryobi 36. I love that Ryobi 36 because it's electric and not gas. Now, ask me why that's important. That's important because, and I just like, you know, I really loved this character. And so... I did the voice for uh, the class and I started applying it to what I finding character. Now, where the contrast of that is, is when you do facial like gymnastics to create a voice, it can be difficult to maintain that when you're performing a puppet. So when you're performing a puppet, you got to put your arm up in the air and you've got to like usually kind of hunch over like this because you're looking down at a monitor. And already it's, it's, you can see it's like crunching my vocal cords. It's like mm. collapsing them. And it's also kind of restricting my jaw a little bit. But if I, I found that when I put my upper lip over my teeth, it makes it hard for me to breathe through my nose. Oh my God. And 
it becomes this whole horrible thing. So now I do Jerry without the upper lip because I just get to a point where I'm like, I cannot <laughs> continue. But shortly after doing the Jim Henson workshop, I ended up uh, connecting with a guy who I honestly never thought I would meet. And it's still wild that he, he's one of the few folks where I'm like, Oh my God, I met this person. I got to work with them. Bill Beretta, who plays Pepe the Prawn and Bobo the Bear and like a Rolf the Dog on the Muppets. Uh, him and I, uh, last year, I got to meet him and, and talk with him and learn from him. And his approach to puppetry is just straight up method acting. Like he went to Sanford's school out in LA. And that's where he learned. He learned from Sanford himself. And he, he calls him Sandy and tells all these beautiful stories about him. But when I was learning from him, he was, I would, you know, kind of dial up characters sometimes. He's like, wait, 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 where are they grounded? And he was starting to like pull me back, like letting me do the characterization, but also saying like, let's make it a little bit more real and ground the character. And I'm now finding this, this place where, I can sort of like ride a dial, right? Where it can be really straightforward and it, it can just be a character that talks like this and that's his voice and it's just my voice a little bit deeper or he's got a little bit of an accent and he's just sort of in here and that's where his voice is. He's sort of believable, but he's still from somewhere specific. And or just throw him up real crazy and make him just absolutely insane and wild, which I really love and it's fun, but not every character calls for something that's dialed up to 11. Right. You know, uh, Bobo the Bear is such a subdued character and it's pretty much Bill's voice just a little bit deeper. And, you know, <laughs> that, but that's also like kind of what makes him amazing and hilarious is he's just grounded. Right. We're going to take a quick break for ads, but then we'll be right back with our guest. back so i have a question and this might get into some puppetry hot tea oh, uh, oh my. welcome back to puppetry hot puppetry tea hot where <laughs> we talk about the drama the scandals of well it's not puppetry. a scandal it's opinion okay so, <laughs> okay all right what do you got what do you got okay so i'm a huge fan of practical effects i yes. love i love 70s and 80s practical effects especially horror practical effects the puppets involved in Jurassic Park, the puppets involved in The Thing, the puppets involved in um, Alien and Predator and all that kind of stuff. The, that is a dying situation. All of these yeah. sort of people who were legends and who worked in that space, like now it's all CGI. They don't really like employ or take the time to uh, like celebrate or give jobs to these types of of puppeteers in these studio films. How do you feel about that? Do you think that that's a huge mistake? You know, what what are we missing when we don't have these sort of amazing genius practical effects people working on on films? Yeah, I think that it's really important to not forget about practical effects. I love practical effects and when I was a kid, my father during the good years, we would we would do practical effects things with each other. Like he at one point made me a Ninja Turtles like latex mask. Yeah. And we would like do castings of our hands and then like break the fingers off and paint blood on them. You know, like we I really 
have a, a deep appreciation and love for practical effects. I was a huge Stan Lee fan, or not Stan Lee, uh, Stan Winston fan mm. when I was a kid. But I'm also a fan of visual effects and CG animation. I worked in visual effects for, oh man, I don't know how long, like for a while, maybe seven years, but I was, I was working there for quite some time. And I have a really big appreciation for it. And I understand the work and the artistry that goes into it. With that said, I think that whatever method services your story, that's the method that you should use. And sometimes it's, it's all visual effects. Like Toy Story is all CG. Right. And it's a beautiful, amazing film. But then there's other films where it's mostly practical effects. And that, that's really incredible. I feel that the, the best example of a good balance of both is the movie Jurassic Park. There is yeah. absolute balance within uh, what the they original, did there. The original. The original, yes. The very first one. What they're doing now is just like crazy madness. And it doesn't look good. It doesn't. And oftentimes doesn't like hold up against the original Jurassic Park film. Thank you. And the reason that the original Jurassic Park film works is that there was a balance between them both. Uh, and also, this is one of my favorite fun facts about Jurassic Park, is when they were creating the CG elements for the film, because they knew, like, we can't actually build a Tyrannosaurus Rex to run and try to eat Jeff Goldblum. Like, we have to, like, animate this. And the technology's here. We can do it. But how do we do it? The guys that were creating the CG characters did not know how to animate. They had no clue because they weren't animators. They're all, like, computer programmers. So they brought in a guy who was trained by an old school stop motion animator who did like the original Clash of the Titans films, like okay. that, that classic animation of the, the skeletons running around and fighting a guy. He was trained by him. And so he came in and they built this special rig that was a little like T-Rex toy, essentially, that had motion crap capture uh, uh, sensors on it. And he stop motion animated the character. Oh. And they took those keyframes and just applied it to the dinosaur. Wow. So when you watch it and you're like, wow, the weight and like all these things are so perfect. It's because they used traditional animation techniques to make the character move. That plus the CG plus, you know, Steven Spielberg looking at it and, and his whole team looking at it and saying, you know, this has to be believable. How can we make it look believable yeah. and incorporating elements to make it work? That's why that film is still so successful. But then... The close-ups, they'll throw in an actual practical puppet, yes. right? And so, like the scene when uh, the the raptors the, uh, are velociraptor, there's people yeah, the, in raptors the raptors are guy in suits, yeah. yeah, and they made that work, and it's beautiful. And there's one moment, there's a moment in particular that is a really great marriage of it all, and it's the scene when the velociraptors are trying to get the kids in the kitchen. Yes, that. Oh whole my God, if you watch that knowing it's practical effects, holy shit. Well, and there's a, there's a couple moments in there that is CG and you don't know because the way that they incorporated the two was perfect. And the way that, one of the ways they sell it is that when the uh, Velociraptor first looks through the glass, they had hot air go through so that the little window fogs up. And that is telling you this thing can breathe. Yeah. That's all it's doing is communicating with you that it can breathe. And so from then on, you just believe that it breathes. Right. And that's terrifying because <laughs> right. you know it's alive. Don't you think that it kind of, it takes away jobs or it takes away like creativity and ingenuity for like, how are we going to make this work? How are we going to like, I just love stories of like the alien in Alien is like the sacks are like egg yolks or like that, you know, like the sort of creativity of like, 
of like how these things come together, even like the how much the shark in Jaws was breaking down the whole time and how that made it a better movie. Like, you know, don't you feel like the people like you lo- lose jobs or lose out in these situations? I think that we can if we only want to stay in puppetry. Like if we agree that puppetry is the only way that I can tell a story. Like I'm for me, I... I look at myself as more of a performer and a storyteller. And so if I have to do something that is CG related, I will be into it and curious about it because I like to tell stories and, and make people laugh. And if that means, you know, I've got to put on a motion capture suit, okay. But I I do think that people miss out if they say, I, I guess it's more of like, I'm not an absolutist. Like if people say that we can only do visual effects, I think that that's really ignorant. And that is going to make your story really weak if you think that that's your only option. Now, to your point of it killing jobs, like there are a lot of folks who started to get less work for sure. And a lot of the people that I have been mentored by have talked about to me about that, about how like, yeah, there's just not as much work as there used to be. So when they, when they start telling you about getting into the industry, they'll say like, start a savings account now and (laughs) save as much as you can. Like that's what they say. But on the flip side of it, the reason visual effects became so prominent is not just because they could do anything, but production studios loved how uh, cost effective it was. It is more cost effective. And the reason it's more cost effective is, effective is not because it takes less time or that it costs less money to buy a $6,000 computer and a $20,000 render farm. It costs less money because the animators don't have a union and so they can pay them whatever they want. And because of the film industry, they create bidding wars. And and this isn't even like, I wish that this was conspiracy because it wasn't this way. But like, sometimes you have situations where people are working on really huge films and making only 10 bucks an hour and working until like two in the morning, trying to get it, you know, a 30 second shot right. Like sometimes a 30 second shot can take over a week to produce. And the only reason that the the studios pay for it is because it costs less than paying somebody that will build it for you practically that you can shoot on the day. And there is limitations to puppetry, and but there are also limitations to visual effects. And that's why I think the, the, the marriage needs to happen. But I think also the appreciation for both of the art forms has to occur as well. Because I have lots of friends who are super talented visual effects artists who left the industry, left, stuff, left doing stuff that they absolutely love. They couldn't get a livable wage. Well, I hope that gets you in trouble with your peers. I hope that was a spicy hot take that gets yeah, you that's... puppet canceled. Oh, my oh no. If I, I just want to get on to a controversial news show spicy, to talk about puppet hot, hot takes. takes here on yeah. Puppetry. You know, those puppeteers, they all smell like an Albertson's trash can. You know yeah. what I mean? I love to get those people dirty in trouble puppeteers. with their very niche communities. <laughs> Well, I love to play game shows. So would you like to play a game with us? I would love nothing more than to play a game show with you both. Yay! So this show is called Hypotheticals. You and Gabby are my (laughs) contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have. And then you tell me what you would do in that situation. And sometimes I declare a winner. Sometimes we just have a thought-provoking discussion. Uh, And sometimes we get into... We get into fights. Uh-oh. Spicy, spicy hot <laughs> puppet takes. 
Spicy puppet takes. So our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater? Oh, God. Your partner is convinced that they are a COVID-19 super dodger and are immune to getting it. (laughs) This is what Allison (laughs) thinks about herself. (laughs) This is what Allison thinks about herself. It's already spicy and the whole question hasn't been asked. Okay, so you refuse to believe them despite the fact that they have been exposed many times and have never gotten it. In order to prove that they're a super dodger, while you are safely away on a business trip, they make out with your neighbor who just tested positive. They still don't get it. Would you stay with this cheater? No. 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 God, no. Reckless. <laughs> of course not. Absolutely yeah. reckless. They could contract it. They could get long COVID. No. What do you think, David? Yeah, I, I mean, so I was in New York when the pandemic hit. And if you were in New York, if anyone's listening right now and you were in New York when the pandemic hit, I feel like that's all you need to hear about someone saying I'm a super dodger. Because yeah. <laughs> like it was terrifying. It yeah. at times was like the apocalypse. It was insane. And because there's, you know, people are sometimes asymptomatic and sometimes the tests don't show up because you have a certain strain that can't test. And then you end up going to the grocery store and you give old, you know, Aunt Jenny COVID and then she goes home and dies. Thanks. Thanks a lot for that one. R.I.P. Aunt Jenny. But the bigger thing for me, actually, no, they're both very important. Uh, Super (laughs) Dogger thing, yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, But also, you know, if someone, I don't have patience for someone that cheats on anyone for any level. Even a makeout? Spicy hot takes. Even a makeout. I have been cheated on and it was terrible. And my mother's been cheated on and it was horrible. And so like, I just... I, that's just me, you know? Other people know, are kind of like... All puppeteers are monogamous. <laughs> yeah. Extremely yeah, to do with cheating, Extremely Gabby. Mono- I know. See, you just blew up your own spot extremely. as a... You just wow. made it seem like you didn't even understand non-monogamy. That's true. And I looked like the expert. What I love is that you just said monomonogamy and it sounded like Mono-mono- a Muppet take. Monomonogamy. Monomonogamy. So no... No patience for it. And I don't no like, patience. I don't want people to get sick. So David and I are on the same team and we would not stay. Yeah. Okay, great. No. Well, then I won't do this. Don't do it, Allison. <laughs> Allison don't thinks, go make out with your neighbor to prove a point. Especially That's the terrible. neighbor that has that Republican sign. Yeah. I'm starting a beef oh, with my neighbor Lord. over the, the LA may, mayor race. <laughs> oh my gosh. Are you going to, is this the Caruso guy? Is that oh, who's, yeah, who's yeah, running yeah. right now? They have Woo! a Caruso sign up and technically Woo! he's running as a Democrat. But let's be honest, that guy's not. A Democrat. Oh, my gosh. That comment about him being Latin is hilarious. But we don't have to go into it. Uh, <laughs> spicy <laughs> puppet I wouldn't make out with that neighbor. Maybe my other neighbor. Anyway. <laughs> big day for that neighbor. Oh, no. Hear this on the pod. <laughs> Welcome back to our favorite game show. Who is she going to cheat on next? <laughs> <laughs> No, I don't think I'm a super dodger. I think I just got my booster at the exact right time. I love that for you. And then we and then we isolated. That's nice. So and then you isolated. Yeah. Anyway, our next game. <laughs> Are you a terrible parent? Okay. Oh God. Your child, ten, has thus far refused to learn how to swim because they find this skill to be unnecessary in today's society. 
in, in order to motivate them, you book a week-long Disney cruise for the whole family, but tell them that they have to stay at their grandparents' house if they don't learn how to swim before the cruise due to safety issues. They still refuse to learn and for the rest of their life talk about how their family went on the vacation of a lifetime without them. Are you a terrible parent? One, I I hate, you want to go back to spicy takes, I hate cruises. <laughs> cruises are, are boats full of germs. You mm-hmm. can't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. They're, you're stuck with the people. You can't leave. If something happens, all those people stuck on cruise ships during COVID, I'm sorry you had a bad time, but you went on a cruise. And I think, and I just, I think they're bad and I don't like cruises and I wouldn't even go on that lesbian cruise that everyone loves. So I don't think, oh yeah, I guess I can't go yeah, on Yeah, it's like, anymore. what are you talking about? You can't go on a lesbian cruise? Wow. Times have changed for me. But I'm just saying, uh, <laughs> well, where the fuck is my trans cruise? I don't even want it because I don't want to go on a cruise. Okay. Point Not is. Not even the transatlantic cruise? Hey. Oh. Look out. <laughs> These are the jokes, everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, oh, can't get no respect. Uh. <laughs> um, no, cruises are horrible. I would never go on a cruise. I would never make my family go on a cruise. And But here's my follow-up question. Okay. Why why not just learn how to swim? It t- probably takes like a week. They think it's an unnecessary skill to have in today's society. But what if they're driving their car on a bridge and the bridge falls and they fall in the water? Like the you water die. Is, you don't get to survive. Water that. is around all the time. You not you need to learn how to swim. This is their strong philosophy. I can't. I don't know what to tell you. When I'm I'm from Florida, and when you're about one years old, they throw you in the water and teach you to learn, teach you to float. Okay. They you ever seen videos of that? Not throw you in the water. You ever seen videos of them teaching I, babies? How I to don't flip? care if it exists. I don't think it should be done. The baby has to. I had to learn how to yeah. flip you myself. Need to learn over. how to swim, but you don't need to throw a baby in the water. So it'll learn how to flip no, itself over. Gabby, that's proven to not be a good thing to do to your baby. I'm just saying that. Is it not? There was, I don't think that's a good thing. I'm to just do saying to your there's baby, so no. much. It's Wait, a trauma. Who's proven? Who's proven it? You said I, okay, I'm going to look it up because I remember seeing a thing that it was bad. I'm just saying, okay, well, that's like when you're like nine months, they're like, you better learn how to swim because you're in Florida and we're sinking every day. Yeah. You better learn how to swim because the rains fall down and at any moment, your parents' car is getting swept away to the Everglades. It is good. No, I don't think, is it, I don't think you're supposed to. No, see, an infant or young child may be injured by the force and angle of the fall to the water's surface. And they could be forced too deep into the water and either not hold their breath at the right time or be unable to hold it for a long enough time period. It's like very dangerous to throw your baby in the water. Well, you know what else is dangerous? A baby not knowing how to swim. Oh, my God. Don't throw the baby in the water. I was parented 100% correctly and I turned out fine. (laughs) You turned out great. I just, I had a kid five months ago, so I'm a pretty new dad. Oh, wow. Please don't throw it in the water. I'm not planning to throw him in the water at all. Uh, (laughs) Although, so I have noticed that when like, when he's, when I'm giving him a bath, if I like pour water on his head or like lean him back in the water, he puts his arms out, like straight out. And there is a type of training that you can do with your young kids when they're like toddlers to learn how to put their arms out and flip their bodies when they're, That's if they what, like fall into a pool. Correct. And That's what we're learning. a toddler is different than a baby. Okay. A toddler is very different than a baby. Okay. 
Yeah, I wouldn't I go will throwing die on like. This hill. Do not throw a baby <laughs> in the water. <laughs> Spicy hot puppet takes. We all just start in water, man. Come on, oh it's natural. God. We all like come up and at one point you were a tadpole, man. Come on, ba- children uh, can drown after being out of the water. Did you know? Oh, that? I did know that. It's so horrible. like, yeah. we need to be really yeah. cautious with water and children. Anyway, <laughs> stick a so real turn. I think for the <laughs> swimming agree. question, like, I think that if the kid is really that. Like, if it's some sort of like morality thing, like I would continue to, this is me being so rational because I'm a parent now and I think about these things, but like, I would keep talking to the kid about it. You know, I think that it's, it's, I wouldn't call it bad parenting to uh, threaten your child <laughs> with, <laughs> with a potential lifelong trauma, but I would say that it's, it's probably ill-advised, yeah. you know, like it's probably not the best way to parent your kid, All but right. it's definitely better than like, you know, hitting them in the back with a stick and then pushing them in a pool, <laughs> you know, like there's, it's, there's a lot worse things you could do to your kid, you know, like you could uh, blame them for your fraudulent actions and then kick them into the pool. There's a lot of different ways, sure. set them on fire. This is getting weird. But the, the thing that not I think, that yeah, I just, they lose I, it's out not on that a bad. Disney cruise, which probably when you get back, yeah. you're all sick. You all have the flu from the friggin' buffet. And they're like, told you so. This is so funny. I've never known you to once care about hygiene, but now suddenly you care about the cruise's hygiene. You're trapped. I don't like being trapped. You're trapped. Oh, yeah. Enough. Look, none of us will go on a cruise. Yeah, it's 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 kind of scary at times, especially if you're in a room that has no windows. It's mm. people go weird missing. And time doesn't ships exist all the time. That <laughs> <laughs> we both equally shouted about something. You yeah, shouted about the cruises. I'm shouting about not throwing yeah. a baby in a pool. <laughs> okay. We're, this is a we're riled up on hypotheticals today. I'm real angry now. <laughs> you better be careful what you ask me next. <laughs> okay, it's our final game, and this is for you I'm to get riled break up. Break everything in front of me. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, our final game. Would you forgive this liar? Oh. You ask your new partner if they have ever seen the hit show The Office. When they share that they have never seen it, (laughs) you are shocked and force them to watch it all with you. In the middle of season three, they finally break down and admit that they have seen The Office. They just hate it so much. They found it more socially acceptable to pretend they have never seen it in the first place. (laughs) Would you forgive this liar? Why did they agree to watch it with you? Because they did it. They had lied. They had set up the, you know, and then you made this big stink that they had to see it. Were they pretending to laugh? Yeah. Ooh, I hate that. Oh, that's weird. No. Not really. Like, not not pretending to laugh, but they they were, you know, like, they were like, oh, yeah. So how did I get three seasons in not noticing that they were having a bad time? You not noticing something? Wait, (laughs) this happened? This is a real thing that happened to somebody? No. So you had a friend who watched no, the show for three Allison seasons? No, just thinks I don't know. It's not that I don't notice. It's just, well, I do. I don't notice. But also nobody, if you would just be straightforward with me. This is the type of, like, I could have 100% imagine you watching something and not realizing that everyone else hates it because you really liked it. Yeah. But if you don't like it, then leave. Right. Yeah. Because that's yeah. what you would think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I definitely think that there are people who will say they like something when they've never actually seen it just to like fit in with the the social conversation. But if somebody was like 
telling me they had never seen a show that was like really important to a lot of people. And they were like laughing at parts, but then they were like, ah, so by the way, I've, I've seen it. It's just, I hate it. I think it's the worst things that existed. And I just didn't know what to do. So I kept the lie going. I would be pretty surprised and I would have a very long conversation because that's hilarious and weird. Uh, but I would also then punish them by making them watch something that they, I know that they would hate, but I love. I would oh. say like, well, okay, so here's what happens now. We're going to watch uh, Bad Taste, a really horrible, horrible sci-fi film, and you're going to enjoy it. I, I think that there'd have to be some sort of fun repercu repercussion. I don't trust them. I don't trust them. <laughs> yeah. And then I feel foolish. Oh, yeah, no. I'm sitting next to you chuckling at, at Michael Scott's antics, and you think I'm an idiot? Well, honestly, you have to keep in mind that that's a 22 episode per season show. So that's a to be make it to halfway through season three. There's been a lot of lying happening. Yeah, I don't like it. No, I think I you. could forgive them yeah. for the lie, but I wouldn't want to be their partner anymore. Yeah. <laughs> oh, is this someone who's like, I thought you're this was just dating. like a friend. No, you're just dating. Like some, your oh, you're dating. Yeah. No, yeah. Like relationship over. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. if you're just like when you're dating somebody, it's a long term interview. And like that's that's a huge like I feel like uh, CV red flag. Right. Yeah. Right. Like what else are they going to lie to you about? Mm -hmm. You know, that's like, oh, I yeah, say. no, I swear I'll cook your steak medium rare. And then it's always going to come back like medium. Like, come on. No, this guy. person, they would want medium rare and you cook it medium and they never say anything. I don't like that. Yeah, that's which I couldn't horrible. handle. That's awful. I don't like that. Yeah. All right. So we actually no one got riled up because we all agree. I don't really care about the office. Is that what? Bad? I yeah. don't really care about it. I know. I'm the only one here who cares. Do I you like The okay. Office? You think it's I, okay? I, no, I think it's okay to not like The oh, Office okay. because I uh, don't like most of Game of Thrones. Yeah. I think that it uh, wasn't that good. After season one, it just kind of slowly declined and kind of just collapsed like, you know, yeah. a flan in a cupboard. It just was like. I'm on season good. three right now. I'm still liking oh, yeah? it. But this has had to be my third time attempting to watch this show. Yeah. Yeah. Have you guys ever heard of The Sopranos? <laughs> See, I didn't like The Sopranos. What? Like, like I opera love singers? The Sopranos. <laughs> I got bored with The Sopranos. I mean, I appreciate a good brass section. What are you like? It's good. No. Get out of here. <laughs> Goodbye. What? We're done with oh. you. All right. Damn. Get out of here. I'm just going to eat this cookie really close to the mic now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you and all the things that you're doing? So you can go to my website and look at a photo of me looking like I'm throwing my own party just for me. It's uh, davidbizarro.com. And my last name is spelt with two Z's and one R. But if you want to see like where I'm posting all the time and being really active with funny things, go to my Instagram account. It's just at David Bizarro. Yeah. Oh, Waffles and Mochi. I don't know if this is going to air before or after the show comes out, but I play Mochi in the new kid in the new kids show, uh, Waffles and Mochi's Restaurant. And so that's coming out October 17th. Uh, and that's my latest thing. Yeah. Amazing. Well, that'll so awesome. this will be out so people can like in like a few weeks so people can watch it. Oh, great. Perfect. Yeah. Everyone go to Netflix and uh, watch that show. It's super cute. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was really, really fun. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about superstition. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topics. 
baited. <laughs> you set yourself up. Uh-huh. <laughs> You're right. You know, one thing I feel bad about, sometimes I don't know what other people's superstitions are. And yeah. so I've learned a few years ago that cheersing with water, some people consider that to be bad luck. Yeah. Also, really? not looking your you have to the, look each other in the eye. eye. But I, I don't really drink, and so a lot of times everyone will have a drink and I'll have water, and everyone wants to do a cheers. But I don't know if I'm going to upset people by what will upset them more by me not engaging in the cheers or by me engaging in the cheers with water, and then people being worried. What you should do is lift up the flowers that are on the table and just cheers. That's with, that. with water. Well, it's got water in it. It's got other stuff. Like what? flowers <laughs> um also there's like there's like jewish superstitions too that are so fun like not naming oh, your yeah. child after someone who's alive right. because it will kill that person i would never name my child no after me neither i'm so alive. scared because i'd some kind of i i every time someone's like oh i'm a junior in my mind i'm like you killed your dad <laughs> To me, it's just like it's such a culturally ingrained thing. It's like so it would just ingrained. be so weird to me to ever name my child after someone in my family who's still alive. It's so it's like ingrained. Sac- it's literally like sacrilege. Yeah, but isn't that so weird? Like even if you're not that religious of a Jew, yeah. you're like, oh, I'm not you, religious. You can't. But you I could never. I could never do it. You. Yeah, it's like so ingrained, and people think that that's so weird. Yeah. Well, I think people being named dead the same as their kids weird. Yeah, because then when they call the house, someone's looking for you. How do they know? One thing I remember about Jimmy Fallon, I don't know why, is that his parents are named James and Gloria Fallon, and then his sister is, he's James and Gloria Fallon. They named the kids the same exact names as the parents. Wait, his name is, his middle name is Gloria? No, his name name is Jimmy, and his sister is Gloria, and the parents are Jimmy and Gloria. I find that really weird. Like, why? I know I'm not supposed to find it weird, and every culture is different, but I find it weird. Like, why? I don't understand. That just makes your house confusing. It's so confusing. I I don't understand. And it feels egotistical to me. Okay, well, write in. I'm sorry if this is something big in your culture, but I just, I don't know how. Explain to us how it's Ex- not confusing. Yeah, explain to us why it's good. My nephew is a junior. We call him MJ. That's and then, cool. But, and then, like, Preston is kind of like a family name. Just, like, a lot of the Monts have the middle name or first name Preston. But what's the point of it? I, I think it's just, it yeah, it's just to pass it on. And it's, yeah, but it's not nice. required. It's just like a lot of people, like I'll meet like some, because my grandmother had eight other siblings and then and then like there's a lot of family around. And yeah. so like I'll quote unquote meet someone, but their family and their like middle name is Preston. That's my dad's middle name. Okay, that's yeah. so it's like a way to tie yourself to each other yeah. and stuff. All right. That's nice. All right. I could be convinced. And it's and it's to ward off evil. It's for no reason. <laughs> Have you ever, you know, those evil eye bracelets? Yeah, that you wear that are supposed to take uh take away the evil from you. I guess. Well, the evil eye is interesting because it's present in I think a lot of different cultures. Yes, it is. Which is I always find that stuff fascinating. That yeah. it's like permeated. Mm-hmm. What are other like Jewish ones? Oh, like you have to light. I don't know why. There's certain like things where it's like you have to light the menorah a certain direction. Otherwise, it's bad. Or you have to like there's so many that are just like you're not supposed to eat the um, you're not supposed to drink from Elijah's cup because it's for Elijah. Like all these little things that are like bad are luck. Superstitions are just like rules. Like, they're like they're like I feel like if you do it, you're cursed. <laughs> <laughs> 
Maybe I was just, I don't know. You know what's bad? I'll tell you about bad superstitions. <sighs> black cats don't get adopted because people think black cats are bad luck. Yeah. So the shelter's full of black cats for no fucking reason. I know, and they're so pretty. Adopt a black cat. Yeah. Salem, Salem was a black cat, Sabrina's Teenage Witch. What the fuck is the name of the cat from Sailor well, that's Moon? That's not really you disproving it. That was a witch's cat. Get a witch's cat, you cowards. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, there's black cats are so cute and they're wasting away in shelters because you people think that there's some sort of weirdness around black cats, which is not a thing. You should go adopt a black cat now that you're a cat household anyway. I know. We have a black dog and a white cat. So maybe we need to get a white dog and a black cat just to even it out. Call it little checkers family. And then I make all my animals race each other. It's a race war with the white and black animals. God damn it! <laughs> I quit this show. I quit. Do you judge other people for have, being superstitious? I judge it when it's like you have to look each other in the eye to do cheers because that's what about autistic people who can't look in each other's eyes? Sometimes superstitions are like they don't have any basis and they just inconvenience people who have different needs. Mm-hmm. That's true of so much of the I world. Know. <laughs> Do you judge? Maybe. <laughs> I'm coming to your house at night. I'm going to sweep away your blessings. Yeah, that would be your blessings, though. They're not mine. Oh, it's whoever sweeps. Sweeping. It's not who owns the home? Yeah. Interesting. The crack thing, walking on a crack, you'll break your mom's back. Like, okay. Because you don't really care about your mom? No, I care about my mom. <laughs> but, like, I've walked on many of cracks and her back is perfectly fine. Knock on wood. Yeah. Knock on that wood. That is not wood. See, that's a superstition. That is right? a superstition. And it's I not still wood. do. I, say, I do a knock on wood. I, I say knock on it. wood. There's also, like, a Hebrew phrase that's, like, that's like knock on wood. That's, like, I didn't mean that. That I mm, sometimes will use. My bad. Did I do that? Yep, that's the old Hebrew expression. <laughs> Did I Steve do that? Urkel. <laughs> Urkel, 1225. You know what I mean? Like in the book of Urkel. <laughs> this is a relevant show. <laughs> well, what do we rate this episode? I will rate it 75 out of 63 little puppets. Oh. I'll rate it. A hundred out of ninety-nine. Celebrate yourself, baby. Praise you. The song by Fat Boy Slim. Five out of one. Candyman. No! <laughs> no! <laughs> Close all the mirrors. Shut down everything. <laughs> that was vicious. <laughs> that was vicious. And I didn't do it, so it's not my fault. Thank you so much to David Pizarro for being our guest. Gabby will be back next show, or maybe Gabby will be dead. No! <laughs> Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa Diamond Monts. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Tracy Soren. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash foreverdogteam or on our channel, youtube.com slash show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also at Allison Raskin, at She Is Not Melissa, at Gabby Road, Emotional Support Lady Substack, 
patreon.com slash Gabby Dunn. And also Allison's book, Overthinking About You. Go and leave a Goodreads or an Amazon review. Um, you can also go to Scribd and see my book, Stimulus Rack. But Allison's, give them reviews. Okay, bye. Forever. Forever.